In 2 Corinthians 10, the apostle speaks of the power of meekness and a wholesome severity. Hear now the reading of the word of Almighty God, starting at verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 10. Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent am bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence where I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Do ye look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ's, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ's, even so are we Christ's. For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed, that I may not seem as if I would terrify you by letters. For his letters say they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such an one think this, that such as we are in word by letter, when we are absent, such will we be also indeed when we are present. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. But we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure, as though we reach not unto you, for we are come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope when your faith is increased that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand, but he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. Thus far the reading of the word of Almighty God from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verses 1 through 6, we have the apostle's mild and humble assertion of his power to both preach the gospel as well as to punish those who offended. Notice here, verse 1, he refers to a beseeching of them by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. What was the rule of Christ's conduct when he was on the earth? Well, he was meek and he was gentle until it was necessary to be otherwise. 
And what Paul is saying here is I would rather come to you in that spirit of meekness and gentleness rather than come down and crush you as I have the right to do. To chastise you, he chooses rather meekness, rather the gentleness that Christ our Lord displayed. He does not want, he says in verse 2, to be bold when he is present. He would be compelled to it. He would do it if necessary, if they were unrepentant. Yes, he would choose to be severe with them, but he would rather use meekness and gentleness. Some people thought of the Apostle Paul that he walked according to the flesh or under the dominion or the power of human thoughts, human traditions, carnal policy and practices. That's what Paul's all about, they said. He's not a man of God. He doesn't speak the truth of God. You can't listen to him. He walks after the flesh. He walks according to the flesh. This was a false accusation. And Paul would be compelled, if they kept it up, to use the boldness of his office, of his rule. He says, we are in the flesh in verse 3, but we do not war after the flesh. Have you heard being in the world, but not of the world? Same thing here. We are in the body, but we don't be ruled by it or by the fleshly wisdom of man just because we're in the body and have infirmities. The weapons, he says, of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. Men think of carnal weaponry as powerful. Look at these bombs. Look at these guns. Look at how strong I am. Look at my commanding presence. I'm powerful. God says, no, you're weak. The things that are powerful are the weapons that God has ordained. God is the great warrior who handles these weapons, the sword of his spirit, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the truth of God. These are the weapons Paul employed, and they're stronger than man's fleshly wisdom. What do these weapons accomplish? They pull down strongholds. That place, the inner citadel, where everybody goes when the city is attacked, they get through the first wall. They get through the second wall. They're never getting into the citadel. Oh, yes, Paul says we are. We're coming for you. The gates of hell will be torn down and the citadel will be cast to the ground, he says. How? How, Paul? By the sword of man? No. By the sword of God, by the weapons of our warfare, these are mighty to God himself in the presence of God. These pull down strongholds. Now the wicked will use crafty imaginations, verse 5, casting down imaginations, and they will use high things to intimidate. They will exalt themselves and they will try to seduce you. Both fight against the kingdom of Christ. Now this word imagination means reasonings, rational judgments. They profess themselves to be wise. Aha! You believe in that old book written by men? We believe in science. We believe in education. Imaginations, false reasonings, professions of wisdom. God says in that very profession, he makes them fools. 
God says we cast down those imaginations, those reasonings of men. The carnal mind is hostile to God and will seek for its own little devices, its own reasonings, its own thoughts. Let us not be seduced by these imaginations. Let us not be terrorized by the high things. Let us rather cast those things to the ground. God's weapons are mighty. Man's are weak. Therefore, we must not buy these carnal lies. He goes on, we bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. This is the foundation of all true knowledge. God has spoken. Does God know a lot or a little? God knows everything. So when God speaks to us, can we know things? Yes, we can. Because God, who knows all things, has declared that this is the case. What about creatures? What about men? How much do they know? Do they know a lot? No. Man knows very little. And man, at his best estate, is altogether what? Vanity. Emptiness. Hollow. Oh, the science says you should do this. Well, maybe you should do this. May actually do this. No, wait, do, no. Science tells you nothing, does it? Men are fools, but they exalt themselves. We are powerful. Listen to us. We are smart. We know lots. No, you don't. This is merely bravado. This is merely casting up imaginations. And God says, tear them down. Bring them down to the ground with the mighty weapons of God. And it starts with us. Our thoughts are not an area of neutrality. God has authoritatively revealed truth. Carnality rejects this truth and says, I am a free man. That's why they have to be brought into captivity. They have to be brought under the dominion of their rightful Lord. Human reason is a great slave, but a fearful master. Human reason will tell you things without God's truth that are not true, but seem oh so sweet. Oh, so profitable. Oh, the truth of those things. And God says, it's foolishness. We are to bring our thoughts captive to Christ. This is exactly what Moses was teaching in Deuteronomy 6. These words are to be in your heart, he says. Then you teach them to your sons and to your daughters. Calvin says the liberty of the human mind must be restrained and bridled that it may not be wise apart from the doctrine of Christ. Verses 7 through 11, the apostle relates his office as an apostle of Christ and his office toward the Corinthians. Verse 7, do you look on things after the outward appearance? That is according to the face, how things look, and you can see it immediately when a person comes in the room. How tall was Paul? What did he look like? Do you know he had a disease in his eyes? He had a thorn in his side. He had been bruised and beaten. He bore scars and marks in his body because he was an apostle of Christ. And if he came in here right now, would we say, look at that handsome, charming gentleman? No. Look at that shriveled old Jew over there. What's wrong with him? 
What's going on with his eyes? Can't he just get some glasses? I don't want to look at that. Do we look on things after the outward appearance? You Corinthians, what do you think is important? The great orators who come to speak to you? The great philosophers that were in Athens nearby? Who is it that you want to see come and speak to you? The false apostles said, certainly not that one. His speech is contemptible. His bodily presence, he's weak. Weak sauce. Go listen to him. Paul says, well, at least concede to me that even as they are Christ's, so are we. I'll make the concession for them, and then let's have it out on equal terms. He says, I should boast somewhat more of our authority. Even if I should do that, I shouldn't be ashamed. There's nothing wrong with me having authority over you Corinthians, he says. But God gave him that authority for one reason. He says, for your edification, not for your destruction. And this is true of all authorities. Why does God put husbands over their wives? Why does God put mommies and daddies over little children? Why does God set pastors in the church, civil magistrates in the civil government? Why are there bosses and employees, servants and masters? Why does that exist? What is God's intention? Well, it's very clear. The thing in itself is to build up those under authority, to be a blessing to them, to encourage them. But sometimes you know that requires something. It requires a little bit of severity. It requires a little bit of the what we call hard side of love, not just the soft side of love. Do you know that's why God gives mommies and daddies? That's one of the reasons. Mommies tend to be a little softer. Daddies tend to be a little harder. And that's true often in discipline, but even in the physical makeup of the body. God has designed things to be different so that they can complement one another. Paul says, yes, I could boast of my authority. No problem with that. There's no Marxist paradigm that I'm oppressing you by being your authority. But I would rather build you up with words, with persuasion, to speak the word of God to you, and you will heed it when your obedience is completed. But if not, he says, we will come to you. We will be weighty and powerful in our bodily presence, he says. Verses 12 through 18, Paul refuses to justify himself or to act by the rules that the false teachers were setting. Rather, Paul will run the race lawfully. He will fall within his rule, within his line, not in the line of someone else. Paul will not commend himself, he says in verse 12. Put yourself forward for consideration. Have you considered me? Paul, that shriveled, beaten old Jew with the disease in his eyes, have you considered us? We're a little better than him. We have a little more wisdom than him. We have a system of gospel righteousness that isn't so given to a possible abuse as his is. He says, well, you should sin so that grace may abound. He teaches that where sin abounds, grace abounds. We teach you got to bring something to the table to the Lord. you got to offer God some works. And then maybe, just maybe, as we minister in his righteousness, then God might justify you. This is the teaching of the false apostles. We'll see this in the next chapter, God willing, next week. But Paul says, we don't commend ourselves. We don't measure ourselves by ourselves. 
Can you imagine if you were trying to find out how long something was, and instead of using a tape measure, you used another piece of wood? Let me use this piece of wood. Well, you don't know how long a piece of wood is, do you? Well, I think it's about this long. Well, try building a house that way. See what happens. You measure by yourself, among yourselves, among the pieces of wood. Well, Calvin says, among blind men, a person who has one eye is seen as the king. Everybody else is blind. Well, he must be amazing because he has one eye and he can partially see some things. Measuring yourself by yourself is not wise. We must measure according to the rule of Christ. Verse 13, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us. This is our word canon for rule. A carpenter's line, a measuring tape. God has standards. We must abide by his standards, not by our own self-imposed judgments. Let us then recognize God's canons, God's standards, God's rules, lest we become barbarians, doing what is right in our own eyes, measuring ourselves by our own rule. Paul says, my measuring tape reaches all the way to you. I am the master builder of your church, in other words. Who was it that went into the synagogue and preached the gospel when Crispus and Gaius were converted, when the household of Stephanus was converted? Who was it? Was it the false apostles? No, Paul says, I was the master builder. We're not stretching ourselves beyond our measure. In the Isthmian games that they had at Corinth, they would have lines. Have you ever seen it, kids, when they race and there are white lines on the outside? Do they get to run on the right side, on the left side of the white lines, or in between them? Anybody know? They have to go between them, don't they? And if they go outside of the lines, what happens? They lose. You're disqualified. You must stay in your lane. So it was in Corinth. Paul says we're not going outside of our lines. We have the measures. We have the rules. We're following, and these false apostles are not following God's rules. They're not staying in his lines. They're not staying in their lane. Paul founded that church. So when they got up in the pulpit and preached against Paul, whose pulpit was it? It was the one founded by Paul. So they're going to stand on Paul's work and they're going to ridicule him, commend themselves. They are not wise. But when your faith is increased, Paul says, then you'll think right about me. Then we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule. Then you'll accept my teaching. Then you'll accept my doctrines. Then you'll accept my discipline when your faith is increased. Let him glory, Paul says, in the Lord. Not in yourself, not in your self-judgments, but what does God say? What does his rule reach unto? What are his canons and rules of judgment? And do they apply to you? And do you follow his rules? Because if you're going to boast, it better be in God. If you're going to have a rule, it better be his rule. Now, often we think glorying in the Lord has to do with God's sovereignty and salvation. And that is true. That's how Paul uses it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But here Paul says, glorying in the Lord is making our judgments according to his standards. God's sovereignty then is both over the gospel, he gets the glory for our salvation alone, and it's over his legislative right. 
We, as Calvinists so-called, we believe in the sovereignty of God, not just in salvation, but in legislation as well. There is only one lawgiver. There is only one judge, and that's not me, and that's not you, and that's not the church fathers. That is our Lord Jesus Christ himself. God is sovereign, both in salvation and in ethics and in the government of the church, and in his worship, and in the rules by which we live. Let us then beware of a boastful spirit, seeing ourselves as having offered something to God in salvation, and therefore worthy of credit. But also, let us beware of the spirit of other sovereigns, other rules, other standards than that of God himself. And thus far, the explanation of 2 Corinthians chapter 10.